Hey, if you got your Bible, uh, turn to Philippians chapter 3. If you don't, it's found right in your bulletin. It's going to be on the screen as well. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. And the Apostle Paul writes this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And this is the point we're going to get to this morning, the centerpiece of our message. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. I shared with you guys last week, some of you were here, that our 2002 Sequoia was totaled the other day. Like So uh, a driver, I think, probably was texting we're all guilty of this, we shouldn't do it, but was not paying attention and plowed right into my two sons and another kid that were in the car. Everyone walked away, everybody was fine, but it just totally T-boned our car and utterly, uh, utterly totaled our 2002 Sequoia. Now, the thing about this car is it was not just a car to us, okay? This had become like family to us. This 2002 Sequoia had taken us back east on, I think, two family vacations where we traveled all the way back to the Midwest to see family, memory after memory in that car. This car took us to Colorado. This car took us to California multiple times. This car took us all over Arizona on day trips, too many that I can count. And even though this car got to the point where all the paint was fading and the back, the back uh, window was covered in stickers, and uh, the suspension on this car sounded so bad, it was kind of like a pioneer wagon, you know, just creaking and groaning as we go over speed bumps, and the interior of the car smelled like the pachyderm house at the zoo. I mean, this thing was disgusting, but even after all that, 250,000 miles of faithfulness. So this was a beloved car. So this week, I had to go to the salvage yard, the junkyard, to get the remainder of our stuff out of the car that we didn't get it, and to to pay my last respects to this beloved family member. And I drive up to this salvage yard in Tempe slash Phoenix, and it's not in the best part of town, and I walk onto this place, and I really feel like I have stepped into a scene from Breaking Bad. I'm not kidding. <laughs> it was kind of exciting, actually. And so I wait for someone to come escort me, because this this place is huge. It's acre upon acre of, of cars that have suffered the same horrible fate of Phoenix roadways that my car has. It's just acre after acre and car after car. And so this guy comes up and he gets in his dilapidated golf cart and invites me in and says, I'm going to drive you to your car. So we drive and we drive and we drive and we finally, we finally get there and he says, uh, take your time. <laughs> and I'm like, this really is like a cemetery. I mean, it really is. So I go in and I gather our things and I don't shed a tear, but I, I really am moved by this car. And I'm looking for little pieces of memorabilia. I peeled one of the stickers off and, and then I, and I got in the car 
And as we're driving back, I noticed just deep scarring in this guy's arm. Like, I'm telling you, it's breaking bad. This guy's arm is scarred. It looks like it could be from a knife fight. It was intense. And he gets a text. And he picks up his phone, and he looks at the text, and he just starts laughing. And he looks at me, and he goes, these people have been trying to scam me. They've been trying to scam me for weeks. And I just keep messing with them. <laughs> he goes, it started on Facebook. These people, I don't even know, they... they they, they, they started messaging me on Facebook and telling me they had gobs and gobs of money for me, and all I had to do was just wire them some money, and then they would travel to Phoenix and bring me my gobs and gobs of money. And he goes, it's been so fun. <laughs> it's like, friends, this is what we should all do with sales calls and, and scams, is just scam them back. And he had been scamming them for weeks. It was a beautiful thing. And I just laughed, and I listened. Listen, scams are everywhere. And the truth is, we've all become jaded by scams. I bet you operate on the same principle I operate on, which is this. If it's too good to be true, then it's probably not true. And when we come to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and we talk about this message that, you know what, because of Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' burial, Jesus' resurrection, you can have all of your sins forgiven, all of them, and you have the hope of eternal life. And not only that, not just life in heaven, but a brand new earth that God is going to restore, redeem, and buy back everything that's broken in the world. And when you hear that story and you live in this world, you can't help but say to yourself, that sounds way too good to be true. Are you with me? We were talking about the cross and the resurrection at dinner time. We meet with our boys at least once a week for family dinner and, and a discussion around something in the scripture, and that was this week, of course. We're talking about Easter. We're talking about the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus, and one of our sons was bold enough to say, it sounds too good to be true, and I have to agree with him, but to you skeptics, you jaded, cynical skeptics, which we all are, I just want to say to you this morning, maybe the gospel is too good to be false, because the reality is all of us have these longings, these deep desires. If you could ask just about anyone in the world, like if you could have any one singular thing in the world, unless they're a totally selfish person, what would it be? I think you would say, I would like for everything that's wrong in the world to be made right again, right? For injustice, for justice to reign, for, for racism to die, for inequality to die, all these things, everything that's wrong, death, disease, divorce, brokenness, sin, all the stuff in this world that's wrong, you'd say, I want it made back. But the thing is, we have a longing. Every one of us has this longing, this desire for this to be true, but there's, there's no end to that. There's no goal. There's no meeting of that here in this world. That's what C.S. Lewis said. So maybe it's too good to be false. And I want us to consider that this morning. At the center of our passage, it says in Philippians 3, I'm going to reread it. Paul says, that I may know him. In the NIV, it says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings and becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul was a man who enjoyed great privilege and success in life. We know this about him from historical accounts, but just studying the scriptures as well. He was a Jewish citizen by birth, tribe of Benjamin, you know, circumcised on the eighth day. He, he goes in Philippians and gives his whole, like, vita and says, like, look at what I had in Judaism. I was the man. I became a Pharisee in Judaism, which is the, 
the highest like religious leadership you could have in that day. Blameless, he says, according to the law. All these things he had gained. Not only that, so he's totally good with his own people. He has all the status, all, all the power that he needs to be a total insider with the Jewish folks. But not only that, he's a Roman citizen, which, uh, as you know, at this time, uh, Israel had been invaded by Rome. The whole part of that world had been invaded by Rome, and you had the enormity of the Roman Empire. And Paul not only had all this Jewish status, he was also he was also a citizen of Rome. Unbelievable. But Paul says in this passage, if I divide everything in my life between profit on the one hand, something that has worth, value, meaning, profit, and loss on the other, here's what he says. On the profit and the worth side, he says, I have the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and knowing him, being found in him. That's what I consider worth. And everything else in my life, all the status, all the power, all the insider qualities that I had in my life, I count as lost. He, he goes on to say, I count them as garbage or rubbish. That's what this man says. I've lost all things and count them as garbage by comparison. And so picking up on Paul's theme, knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, we have one, you're going to be thrilled today. We've got a one-point sermon. And I'm going to drive, not, not three, not five, one, okay? It's not going to be super short either, though, but it's one point, all right? So here it is. Knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection enables us to overcome life's losses like nothing else. Nothing else in life can overcome your the losses you face, the grief you face, the guilt you face, the shame you face, the difficulties you face, the brokenness you face. Nothing in all of life overcomes those things like knowing him and the power of his resurrection. Nothing. Nothing outplays, overpowers, overcomes. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything in your life that is so good, so powerful, so wonderful that it can outplay any evil or bad thing that comes your way. Anything in your life that is so good, so wonderful, so powerful that no matter what comes your way, death, disease, difficulty, divorce, job loss, economic loss, anything at all, no matter what comes your way, you say, yeah, but I have that. You can point to it. I've got that. I have that person. I have this thing. I have this quality that compared to everything else, I count as rubbish. Well, the truth be told, it's really hard to impress us anymore with anything. We've all become so jaded, so skeptical. We're, we're not easily impressed. And, and, and I tell you, back when I was a kid, we were far more easily impressed. How many of you remember uh, the first microwave that was ever brought in your home? Let's date ourselves here. Like, you know, all right, the old folks are in the house. I remember, there's a younger guy back there too. Like, you guys must have lived kind of a weird life, just getting one... <laughs> I remember the when the parents brought in the first microwave, you know, it was about this big, right? It took up, they had to like knock stuff down to bring it in. And we would stand around it and just were mesmerized by it. I mean, literally, it changed our life. Like, 
I could make a pot pie, right? It didn't taste as good, but I could get that thing hot, boiling lava hot and burn the inside of my mouth like in a matter of minutes opposed to hours by just sticking it in. You could do a hot dog in like 20 seconds and we were amazed, absolutely amazed. I remember the first time, I've got a picture for you too. My dad walked into the house with this watch and this isn't the exact same watch, but it's really close. Power, wonder, amazement. He walked in with this gold Star, star Trek looking thing. Like, look at that. That thing is amazing. This is like early 70s, right? And he goes, guys, come here, watch this. <laughs> he presses a button and the time appears. Whoa, you know. <laughs> Whoa, are you kidding me? That's incredible. But wait, watch this. Another button. The date, the date showed up. The time and the date, and it was LED, and it wouldn't show all the time. Like, you had to press it. Like, it was unbelievable. But then what happened? The Casio came along. There was a calculator on it. Like, it was mind-boggling. We were impressed back then with technology. We really were. We had this game called Pong. I almost got a picture of it just for you, you young people. Like, uh, and it was these two lines, right? You remember, some of you were there, like, and you would move the line up and down, and a singular digit would move as supposed to be a tennis ball, beep, Beep, beep. And I, we got that for Christmas, and it was unbelievable. <laughs> then Atari came along, and that was amazing. And then after that, Pac-Man, like the arcade games, started to just come and be incredible. And we would drive our bikes, like get hot and sweaty, and gather all the quarters we could to go to this like convenience store and play Pac-Man for hours. And then whole arcades blew open, and there are all these different games. And we said to ourselves, what if you could play this at home? What if you could play Pac-Man at home? Can you imagine? And then what happened? in the evolution of video games, Nintendo. And we nearly died. We near, our hearts almost stopped that we could play these unbelievably advanced technological games in our home with Nintendo. Now, now we get amazed, but just for a minute, just for a second, just for a minute, uh, how many of you had Pokemon Go on your phone last year? Raise your hand. All right, a few of you. I did. I actually did. We were on vacation, and my kids did Pokemon Go, and I thought, I'm going to get in the spirit of this thing. Now, how many of you currently have Pokemon Go on your phone? Okay, two of you, and you're weird, because nobody else is playing <laughs> Pokemon Go. These things last for a second. When we got back from our vacation, our oldest son went to Tippy Town Lake and played Pokemon Go, and it was among literally hundreds of people at ASU playing Pokemon Go in July, in the middle of July, they're outside playing Pokemon Go. You don't see that anymore. These things only impress us for a second. I have an iPhone 6. It guides me to any single spot on the planet and tells me exactly how long it will take to get there. We know this, right? I can communicate with people around the world instantly, and so can you. And I have near omniscient levels of information about anything. Think about it. It's like having omniscience in your pocket. Like, I wonder, well, da-da, Wikipedia. <laughs> the most trusted thing in the world. Our phones, our technology, our knowledge, our stuff is so amazing, but in spite of their power, and really their power over us, this is terrifying, this is another sermon illustration, their power over us, are they able to give us hope and comfort that in the face of the most difficult trials we can point to and say, yeah, but I have that. I mean, think about it. What else in your life can you point to and say, I have that? 
Man, life has been just smacking us in the face lately as the Brown family. Like we just won, we've gotten three major slaps in a row. Crack, crack, crack. And people have been coming up to us and just going, we are praying for you. We love you. We're praying for you. And then they say, how are you doing? And one of the things that would be interesting to say is like, how am I doing? Why would you ask? I have an iPhone 6 for goodness sakes. I mean, bring on Bring on disaster. Bring on death of a family member. Who cares? Bring on totaling cars. I have an iPhone 6. So do you. How could there be any loss in life with this kind of technology? No one says that. No one would ever do that. What else could you possibly point to and say, compared to knowing the power of a personal mobile phone, I count everything else as rubbish. You know, We'd never do that. The Russian author Leo Tolstoy, who wrote Anna Karenina, War and Peace, he grew up in Russia, of course. He grew up Eastern Orthodox. And like everyone in his generation, very similar to this current young generation, is he lost his faith. He became an intellectual. He, he said, the resurrection of j- anybody from the dead is impossible. I can't possibly believe in that. I believe in a material world and so forth and naturalism. And, and he, he trunked his faith. But later in life, he came to be a believer in the resurrection and he returned to his Christian faith and he writes this, I was not yet 50. I had a good wife who loved me and whom I loved, good children, an enormous estate, which without much effort on my part, improved and increased. I was praised by others and without much self-deception could consider that my name was famous. It still is. My question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, a question without an answer to which one cannot live, please hear this question. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Let me reread that. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable, inevitable death of myself and everyone I know and love around me does not destroy? And when we hear Paul say, I count knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection as as the only gain I have and everything else in my life is rubbish, I can't help but be a little bit offended. I don't know how you feel. Like, really? Everything else? Like, the only thing I have on the, the prophet ledger is Jesus and his resurrection and everything else I count as garbage? Really? Aren't you a tad bit offended by that? I mean... Paul, God created the earth. Where's your theology, man? Like he created everything, he created the whole earth and declared it good. The earth is not garbage. This life that we're living, Paul, it's not garbage. Work is not garbage. Literature, like Leo Tolstoy, not garbage. Poetry, music, culture. The love I have for my wife and my boys and my family. That's not garbage, is it? Not garbage. What about real friendship, community? That isn't garbage, Paul. What do you mean, Paul? Listen, Paul isn't saying they're garbage, not at all. What Paul is saying, though, is that if you make any of those things that I just mentioned your main thing, that you expect to overcome, overpower, and trump life's losses and griefs and, and, and things that you face in your life, you will lose and you'll be left crushed in life. 
Every other thing, person we look to will die or decay and ultimately let us down. They can't help it. Everything. My dear mother-in-law is suffering the loss of the love of her life. The, the mother to my wife, the grandmother to my children, great-grandmother to many, has lost the love of her life, married over 60 years. I've told you guys how much they loved each other. They enjoyed a romantic relationship that was weird. Like, it was almost uncomfortable. Like, as they would sit on the couch and hold hands and stare into each other's eyes, you know, it's like, <laughs> what's the deal, guys? I mean, take a walk, take, you know, get a room, right? I mean, they were in love, but she is now suffering the loss after all these years. He's gone from this earth. No comfort of his arms around her at night now, after 60 years. No voice in the morning or his presence throughout the day. They've been retired since 1990, spending all day, pretty much every day together. And she's mourning like she has never mourned in all of her life, and not only that, she's beginning the early stages of dementia. This lady is mourning. But she mourns with hope. Because her whole life, she and her husband, my father-in-law, put their hope in Jesus and the power of his resurrection. They are mourning, they are crying, we all are in our family, but they don't mourn as those without hope because their whole life they said to one another, like, there's nothing greater than knowing him and the power of his resurrection. This is primary. And though this, this earthly gift that we have is wonderful and good, thank God Thank God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because even as I face this world's greatest loss, the death of someone you love, there is no greater loss. There's hope that overcomes, outdoes, and you can point to and say, I hate this thing. I hate death. I hate disease. I hate the grave and its robbery of those people I love, but I have that. I have the hope that comes to me from the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because, you see, my mother-in-law didn't just believe that Jesus rose. She also believes that her husband will rise bodily. Jesus rose from the dead bodily. And because we have union with Christ, the Bible says, that everything that is accomplished in and through Jesus, we will be caught up in as well. We are joined to him, united to him. We have union with him. And so we are bound to him in his death. So our, our sins are forgiven. And we are bound to him in his resurrection from the dead that we too will rise be with him and everything that's wrong in this world will be redeemed and outdone friends our one point for this morning knowing christ and the power of his resurrection enables us to overcome life's losses like nothing else in this world nothing i don't care who you are paul says some interesting things in this passage let's back up for just a second in the beginning of our passage he says I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes by faith. Isn't that a weird thing for Paul to say? I want to be found in Christ. Hey, buddy, you know what? <laughs> I'm pretty sure you are. 
Do you not remember writing Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and that book, Philippians, uh, that letter that you're, I'm reading from right this moment that where you say, I want to be found in Christ and the power, you know, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. What are you talking about, Paul? Paul then goes on to say, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ. Paul, I don't think there's anyone in the whole world that knows more about Jesus Christ than you do. You are the theologian of theologians. Like you wrote literally like a third of the entire New Testament. Is good. You know, Paul, you know a lot about Jesus. And someone can come along and say, well, commentators even say, Paul's not saying information about Jesus. When he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrections. He's not saying, I want more theology. He's saying, I want more experience. I want to know Jesus. I can say the same thing to him, like, but Paul, you already do, man. If anyone knows Jesus, walks with Jesus, loves Jesus, serves him, dude, it's got to be you. Yeah, but I want to know the power of the resurrection. Dude, Paul, if anyone knows the power of the resurrection, it's you. You literally saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead. That's why you went from being a persecutor of the church to the main and primary witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know that happened, right? Paul was the primary persecutor of the church who then experiences, he sees Jesus risen from the dead and he becomes the primary witness to the resurrection. He literally held a man's or cloaks and people's coats while they picked up stones and they killed a man, Stephen, and he was cheering as they did it. A Christian. Paul, you want to know the power of the resurrection? Okay, I don't know how else you could know the power of the resurrection. It's empowering everything you do. I want to suffer for Jesus. Paul, you are shipwrecked, beaten, flogged, chased out of town, starting churches all over the whole world that is not Jewish that you can get to by boat or walking or donkey or whatever. Like You have done everything in your life to make sure that people know about the good news of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and so forth. You are the man, Paul. So what on earth does he mean by this? And this should just encourage us, guys. There is, this is the point, there is no way to exhaust the goodness and beauty of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. Will you hear me again? Friends, look at me. (laughs) There is no way to exhaust this. And some of you, you're just getting started. I had a friend recently tell me, like, I feel like I've been, I was raised in the church, I've heard everything. Like, I know all this stuff, and I had to look him in the eyes and go, look at me, you don't know anything, man. You are just scratching the surface. You have just begun to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're just now beginning to taste what it means to know. Yes, you've been to Sunday school. Yes, you're raised in the church. Yes, you went to youth group. Yeah, yeah, camp, this, that. You don't know the half of it, man. That's what I said to him. Why? You can't exhaust what it means to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. If Paul said something like this, I want to know him more and more and more. I want to keep working out all the implications of Jesus raised from the dead. Friends, wake up. In this day, in this age, where we're so jaded, so sad, so depressed, nothing impresses us. Friends, there is one thing you can point to that has power. It is knowing Jesus Christ and the power the power of his resurrection. It's the power to face your life. 
Not just your death. We talk about Easter and only death. You need the power of the resurrection right now. Life is hard. I just told you. It's been real hard for us lately. You know, I've been one of those guys, and my wife definitely has, where, to use a golf analogy, you hit the ball and it just sort of bounces off a tree and off a side of a house and lands up in the fairway. Things are good. Life's been pretty good for us. But lately, it's not been that good. Where do you go in times like that? Where do you get the power to live, the power to hope? Where do you get the power to forgive when you really have to forgive someone that's harmed you, hurt you, let you down? Where do you go for that? The power to serve, the power to love. It is in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's hope and power for facing your life, and it's hope and it's power in facing your death. Leo Tolstoy was so wise to say, this is coming my way. I am facing this reality. And he looked and he saw how much he needed the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You need it too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the power of the good news of Jesus. That there's hope, real hope, hope for this life, hope for our death, hope for the age to come. And Father, I just pray for one of us, all of us. I, I pray, Lord, for that person that is feeling so jaded, so doubtful, filled with critique, and, and I just pray, Father, that you break stony hearts and show how good Jesus is to them. Even that person that maybe feels like they've already heard it, they already know it, they've already grown up in it, and it just seems too good to be true. Lord, awaken us to Paul's passion for the reality, Father. That we can point to this. This is true power. May your Holy Spirit be among us impressing upon this on our hearts. We ask in Jesus' good name. Amen.